Good morning. Turn your copy of God's Word to Psalm 138. 138. Josh, thank you and the choir and Chad and Lamar for getting us started in a beautiful worship service. I want to thank Pastor Brian. He texted me this morning and he said um, in his regular reading of God's Scripture, Psalm 138 was on on this task this morning. So that was pretty cool. That was encouraging. Betty had told me earlier that uh, Elizabeth Elliot said that um, we, we all should memorize Psalm 138. She had heard that on a podcast this morning. So, but I'm most grateful to you. Uh, you're an amazing people. I know you're praying for me even now. And um, God is everywhere, but we want to sense his presence. We want to know him. We want him to be right here and manifest his glory in this place every Sunday, every time we get into the closet of prayer in our own individual lives, but especially here as we worship together. Psalm 138, a Psalm of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, for your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired word. May it not only be words or little black dots on a page, but may it pierce our hearts this morning. May it pierce our hearts every day that we read it. Manifest your glory in this place, Lord, is our prayer. And we pray that you would anoint your spokesman this morning and you might, others and all of us might hear a word from you. And we pray it in the precious and lovely name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As the days passed, the entire city of Dublin was in suspense and agony. What was going to happen with two men? Two men had had a misunderstanding. They were going to have a duel. In those days in Dublin, a duel was not against the law. On a freezing cold February day, These two antagonists met in a snow-covered field about 14 or 12 miles west of Dublin. Daniel O'Connell of the Dublin Corporation shot and fatally wounded John DeStair. O'Connell was immediately filled with grief and deep remorse. He did not meant to kill his opponent, and he carried that remorse all of his life, even giving and paying an annuity to DeStair's daughter into the day of his death 30 years later. But the effect of killing 
this man, John Destere, devastated Destere's beautiful and vivacious young widow, Jane. She was 18 years of age. She had two children, two young children. And the bailiffs began to come, arriving at her home, appropriating all of the goods that her husband had. They threatened her as they left. They threatened her to come back and take the body even and sell it. Jane, with a few friends, stole her husband's body out during the city during the night and buried it in an unmarked grave by lantern light. What would Jane do? Where would she go? She would flee to Scotland across the Irish Sea. She took a house in a little village in a little town called Ecclefechan. It was 1815, and she was distraught and lonely. She tried to escape her distress at Ecclefechan. It was a pathetic thing, a vivacious woman, a woman 18 years old. She was a gifted musician. One day, Jane decided to go down and sit by the local river to read a novel. The novel did nothing for her, nothing for her spirits, but she sat by a flowing, flowing waters and her mind drifted to the thoughts of suicide. Life seemed absolutely pointless. Suddenly, the noise of the movement of the water and then also a young man, a young plowman, working the field about her own age. He had entered the field and was with skill and enthusiasm and determination began his work of plowing the soil. He was well known for whistling hymns. He was a Christian, and he whistled Christian hymns at his work. She became so absorbed with what he was doing, watching him. He was meticulous attention. With his meticulous attention to detail, he turned those cascading furrows. On the edge of death, Jane was suddenly jolted into life. If he can be content, I can be content. She was chastened yet inspired, and so Jane Astaire returned to Ireland, and some weeks later she sat at St. George Church in Dublin listening to a speaker preach on the most famous text in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jane realized that though she was lonely, she was certainly not alone. She came to faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior. Fourteen years later, she married Captain John Guinness, the youngest son of Arthur Guinness, the founder of the famous Dublin Brewery at St. James Gate in the city of Dublin. You know, there are three different families. In the, there's a beer family for the Guinness family, the banking family, and you'll see in a minute a great Christian line. Jane did a fascinating thing throughout the rest of her life. She prayed that God would give her 12 generations of godly men and women, a Christian generation. She prayed for her grandchildren. She prayed for her great-grandchildren. She prayed for her great-great-grandchildren, and so on. She earnestly asked God that he would bring about a continuing Christian witness in the Guinness family through the coming 12 generations. And there's no question that God answered that prayer. There was a man, a son, her son, Grattan, for the start, gave away his fortune and became a minister. He preached to literally thousands outside the brewery. He was greatly used of God in the huge revival of 1859 in Ireland when 100,000 people came to personal faith in Jesus Christ in one year. 100,000. In, in fact, the largest building available at the time failed to accommodate all the numbers of people 
coming. The Grattan line is fascinating. It is full of dedicated servants of Jesus Christ who travel the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. One of those is Dr. Oz Guinness, who has influenced my life. He wrote the book, The Call, Finding Purpose in Life. I highly recommend it to all those that are looking for your purpose in life. Jane had turned from suicide to Christ as a result of the inspiration of a plowboy. Can you imagine? Thankfully, we know about that plowboy, but how many other people in life are not known? We need heroes like that, don't we? We need people that are like the whistling plowboy of Ecclefechan, and we need heroes like Jane Destere, who gave up suicide for prayer and crying out to God for 12 generations of Christian leaders. The Bible says men ought always to pray. Pray without ceasing. Why should we pray? Does God need us to pray the one that directs the universe? Does God, who knows all things, need to hear from us what's on our heart? Does God, who has myriads and myriads of angels praising him, does we need to add that another voice to his praise? Does God, who is all-powerful and turns the hearts of kings like rivers of water in his hand, need us to ask? Yes, he wants you to ask. Jesus commands us to pray. He also teaches us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Praise precedes petition. He also tells us to go in the closet of our heart and pray. And I believe this is one of the most important things in my life to help me to know that I pray to the Heavenly Father as though no one else is listening to get into His very presence. Yes, come boldly through the blood of Christ. That is the way we come. We can enter into the very presence of a living God. Am I saying that you should pray as though you should, or you're in the, into the presence of a living God? Yes, because you are. Come boldly through the blood of Christ. Prayer is for our good. Prayer is for God's glory. Prayer results in the fulfillment of God's purposes. If you look at an overview of this passage, you'll see in verses 1 through 3 that he uses the word I. I give you thanks. I bow down. I called. Then in verse 4 through 6, he turns it. David turns it and says, they have heard. They shall sing. And then in verse 7 and 8, again, David returns Back to, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me. You stretch out your right hand. You will fulfill your purpose. So praise is a response to God's great answer. So why should we pray? First, prayer is for our good, verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. The phrase there, I will give you thanks, has this sense of uh, duality and a, a, a thanks and also a pray, prayer in it and praise in it. And literally it, could, it might mean, it does mean, I will tell your name. So when we go away from here, we go into the restaurants and we tell of God's name. We tell others about him. We get excited about him. We acknowledge him him alone. We saw that in the life of Jesus, right? We saw people, Jesus would come and heal them and they'd go away lifting and praising, lifting their hands and praising and thanking and praising God, spreading the news abroad. Sometimes so much that people, it, it was overcoming. It was too much. 
What a beautiful picture of what we should be doing today. Lifting the name of Jesus up to others so that they flock to the cross. So to pray with your whole heart is not not a part of your heart or some part of your heart or some of your heart. It's to give yourself fully and completely to God in Christ. So are there any areas in your life right now? Are there any areas in your life right now you know you're holding back from the Lord? There's a little booklet called My Heart, Christ Home. It's a wonderful little booklet if you jot that down and look and you can see and go back. That's another sermon for another day. But why not trust Him today with all your heart, every area of your life? He who died for you, will He not give you good gifts? Does He not want the best for you if He died for you already? So give Him your heart, give Him your dreams, give Him your very life. Because it's been well said, if he is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Now the next phrase comes with some difficulty. It says, before the gods, I sing your praise. Some of your translations might say before the angels. So, but whether in the presence of God praising or angels or little g, we praise God before the David, before the cultural gods that David was surrounded by, he praised God. He made a direct frontal attack against paganism. This praise is enemy, in enemy territory. I believe a good application for that is when we go out into our world, when we go out to the, the grocery store, when we go out to the sports events, we're not always talking about our sports team and giving praise about our sports teams or about our grandchildren or great-grandchildren or whatever it might be. We're praising God, giving praise to them and talking to people that don't even know of Jesus. When we work, In the town shopping, at play, we're asking others to join with that praise as we delight in God. As we delight in God in praise, He delights in us. As we delight in God in praise, He delights in us. And then He abides in the praise of His people, and He is here, and we sense His presence. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, the world rings with praise. Those in love praise the ones they love. Sports enthusiasts praise their team as they run out on the field. Book lovers praise a good book. Historians praise great men and women in history. We spontaneously praise the things that we value. And then we urge others to praise with us. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? What a great message. What a great song the choir sang. What beautiful music. I think we delight in praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment, C.S. Lewis continues. Delight is incomplete until is it expressed. He said it is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is or to come suddenly to a turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then then have to keep silent because the people with you Care for it no more than a tin can in a ditch. The psalmist David continues, verse 2, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Literally, it means magnified your name, your word. His word is the revelation of his name. This is not the type of prayer that comes, it just comes mouse some lists. This is not the type of prayer that comes, but this is the type of prayer that comes humbly before God. 
in quiet, in silence, sometimes then voicing your prayers, waiting on God. This is the type of the prayer that basks in God's presence. Jesus and Mar- Martha and Mary, I visualized that. Martha and Mary and um, Jesus said the one thing necessary. What is the one? If there's the one thing necessary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, why do we not do it more? Why do we not spend time with him alone? Why do we not look forward to it the next day or whenever we can do it, in the morning or at night or whenever? But this is the type of prayer that is grateful for his covenant love, that, that realizes how, what a sinner we are, what a sinner I am and broken I am, and how this, it took his shed blood to cover my sin. This is the type of prayer that trusts God, knowing that he is always faithful. He never lies, that he is faithful into the end. This is the type of prayer that says, as Jesus cried in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done, O Lord. This is the type of prayer that enters in the presence of a living God, a supernatural life, a living God, a powerful God that exalts the name of Yahweh, his character, his goodness, his mercy, his omniscience, his power, his righteousness, his immutability. He does not waver. He is a rock. So where do we learn about this? We learn about this in his word. This is the type of prayer that exalts his word. This is the type of prayer that abides in Christ and in his word. His written word leads us to his living word. The word of God is key here. This is the reason we pray on Wednesday nights through the psalm before we get started in praise of our our Savior and our Lord. But then we also must remember that we do not worship the Bible. We worship the Christ of the Bible, the God of the Bible, the Holy Spirit of the Bible. Philip Brooks says, American pastor says, the Bible is like a telescope. If a man looks through his telescope, then he sees worlds beyond. But if he looks at the telescope, then he does not see anything but that. The Bible is a thing to be looked through, to see that which is beyond. But most people only look at it. The Bible is a thing to be looked through, to see that which is beyond. But most people only look at it. In this case, David's prayer was answered. And it was answered on the spot. On that day, he cried out. Look at verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Now, you might be saying, okay, this is the great David. This is David. He's not me. I'm not him. You might be thinking that, yes, this is David, but there is a true David, a greater David, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we are in Christ. There should be a supernatural life, a supernatural power in us, the enabling power of the Spirit of God living in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of power, to pray, to cry out to God. Wouldn't it be neat if we got in his presence and just listened in on how he prayed through us, to be quiet before him, to pray through the Word of God. Yes, use the Word of God to pray. The Psalms, pray the Psalms through, for they are inspired. Now, God, when we pray, God doesn't um, twiddle his thumbs and say, let me think about it and get back to you. No, out of his providential vaults, he answers on that day that we call. Now, we don't see the answer. We don't know the answer, but you can be confident that God hears it, he knows it, and he hears, and he is working the work. It may take years, it may take a few moments, but he is doing his work, and he will fulfill it. 
with precision, amazing precision, amazing power, far more than you and I can ever imagine and far better maybe than we even prayed. How many times have you prayed and now look back years later, we're glad that he didn't answer that prayer, right? In another Psalm, here David is in Psalm 56 that Aaron read, when David was weak, he was worried, he was wounded, and he was even wearied like a child. He cried out to God his father, even through tears. In David's eyes, God answered his prayer on that day, and he interprets our tears. Now, many of us have loved ones, friends, family members that we're praying for, for their salvation, for their repentance. With tears, we go to God. And what does he do? He holds them in a bottle. He holds them. He knows every single one of them. So if God in your prayer time brings you to tears, you can be confident that he hears you, that he knows you. You can be confident that he hears you or knows you anyway, but tears are special to our Lord. May our tears in prayer water the word of God into the hearts and souls of others that we love. And even more, look at verse 3. Another translation says, And strengthenest me with the strength in my soul. One translation says, Greatly embolden me. Another says, Made my life large with strength. So we're in prayer. You're praying. God emboldens you. He strengthens you. He gives you enabling power to walk in the midst of trial and tribulation. What an amazing prayer. God's enabling power carries us on eagle's wings. There are times, though, when there may not be best for us that the trial should come to an end. There's times when we should walk through it, and God will carry us through it. It may take years. It may take months. Who knows what it might be. But it is to our advantage that we learn the character of Christ in that. We learn patience through the struggle. We see it in the life of Paul, an apostle Paul, and he had a thorn in the flesh. Betty and I saw it when we were young, um, young married, and we lost a child seven and a half months into the pregnancy, and she almost died. We had been memorizing 1 Peter. Amazing. And God had the word, his word, right for us, right there, to carry on, to keep going. When God makes us strong, no one can weaken us. So prayer is for our good, and secondly, prayer is for God's glory, verses 4 through 6. It says, all the king, this is an amazing passage, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. In the midst of political news coming out of D.C., an unrest among all the nations around, this is an encouraging word. Someday, the kings of all the earth will give thanks to the Lord, for they have heard, they've been impacted by the word of God. This is not just a hopeful plea, this is a prophecy that will happen. Now, the rich and the powerful seem to have a hard time, or do have a hard time, coming into the kingdom of God. They have a hard time hearing from God. We know that Lord Acton said power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But David prophesies that in the, in the future, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. Kings and queens, dictators and wicked rulers, prime ministers and presidents 
Wouldn't that be so amazing to see the, a little bit of that now? To see some of that now of the high, we saw that in the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, an amazing woman. But these kings were looking for power in the wrong place. Maybe like Elijah, we should be reminded that when Elijah was waiting on God, there was a great and strong wind that came by. And then there was an earthquake, a powerful earthquake that came by. And then there was a fire that came by. But he wasn't in any of those, right? What was he in? The sound of a low whisper. Not in a great and strong wind, not in an earthquake, not in a fire, but in a whisper. Look at verse 5. They will not only give thanks because of your word, but they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. (laughs) What a double wonder. These great political leaders will not only give thanks to you because of the word of God, they will sing the word of God. They will sing of the ways of the Lord. You remember Moses said, or the scripture said that he, God made known his ways unto Moses as acts to the children of Israel. I don't know about you, but I want to know God's ways. I don't want to know just his acts. I want to know his ways. And this is what these great kings will have. They will know the ways. They will sing of the ways of God. I get a visual picture of Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings at the end of the great battle in the Pelennor Fields. There was a power at work that Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien, um, caused the black shadow, for it came out of the wounds of the Nazgul. And he says, but the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. So we see this great king, Aragorn, heals Vermeer, Erwin, and Mary. And at the very end, when Aragorn is crowned the king of Gondor in Middle-earth, he sings. He sings beautifully. In the future, these kings will not sing about the love of women, but these future kings will sing of the glory of God and his greatness. Even they will be humbled and made nothing in comparison for his, to his greatness. We see that in Nebuchadnezzar, a, a short picture of a full picture that's going to happen, though already but not yet. And what he says, remember Nebuchadnezzar? He was bragging about, he was walking around and bragging about his great um, power and majesty that he had and then next next we find him eating grass like an ox and he confesses the most high rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to him as he wills he humbles himself and blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever and this is what he said for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation Now, here's the very heart of the psalm, the purpose of prayer. For God, for great is the glory of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. This glory shall overshadow all the greatness of kings, all the greatness of political leaders today. Oh, that Yahweh's glory would be revealed now. Oh, that blind eyes might of men that are under the black shadow could once behold his glory, 
Then hearts, their hearts, our hearts, all hearts would sing with joyful reverence. David here under the sense of Jehovah's or Yahweh's glory exclaimed, I will sing in verse 1. Here he represents the kings as doing the same thing. But what about us? We become like the glory of the Lord in us. We become that glory to other people by what the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, where this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we behold our Savior, as we behold our Lord, we become transformed from one glory to another. So how does this glory flow through us? We keep short accounts of our sin. We repent and confess our sin and cleanse from all sin, the Bible says, and we're filled with the Spirit of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory, flowing out of us. Yes, we are clay vessels, broken, but the light of God's glory flowing out of us, and others may see it and behold the glory of the Lord. God's glory is limitless, but he stoops to honor who? Who does he honor? Verse 6, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Those who elevate themselves might be thinking they're getting closer to the Lord, but they're not. Their selfish vainglory is relative and finite. His glory is infinite. The proud are distant from the truly exalted Yahweh. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And this is great. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So prayer is for our good. Prayer is for God's glory. And lastly, prayer results in the fulfillment of the purposes of God, verses 7 and 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. This verse recalls Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It explains why David was so thankful earlier in Psalm 138, 1 and 2. And also with his great enabling power, he was thankful for that in verse 3. Yahweh gives him life. Jehovah gives him life. Our Lord gives him life and sends his right hand. And I love this. It's a fun little phrase here. Literally what it says in the Hebrew, against the nose of David's enemies. What a visual picture. He bloodied, the God, our God bloodies the nose of our enemies. It's a restatement of verse 3, a restatement of verse 6. David, when you're humble of heart, is given God's support, his enabling power, and God opposes the proud who reject God's kingdom reign. And God's right hand bloodies the nose of our enemies. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. 
Now David was, David knew also that this is, even though he had a dramatic answer to prayer, that, and even though he was empowered of the Spirit of God, that he still has a life to live in an unrelenting world. And you know that too. You walk out of here, you've heard the word, you've heard some beautiful music, you've heard prayers, and you walk out of here ready to go. The world outside, the world is unrelenting. You still have to live a life in this broken world. But the fact of this is believing what God says, trusting what, is, what God says. It makes it possible to continue to praise Him. And as the song says, praise Him even in the storm. Praise Him in the storm, the storms of life. So just because God has answered a prayer in an unbelievable way doesn't mean that all of our prayer concerns are behind us. David realizes there still will be times when we're in the belly of distress. There comes hardships and brokenness and heartaches. We may hear something, some news as we walk out this door, but we stop in quietness and in trust and praise Him and pray. Knowing that God has done hand-to-hand combat with our enemies, we can remember Romans 8, 28, knowing that he is going to transform our life, make our life better. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that for those who love God, all things, the good, the bad, whatever, works for good, for your good. And you can take comfort in that, knowing that he has continued to make you more like Christ. The last section of that verse is amazing. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. In other words, the one who stays near, picture this now, the one who stays near to God's right hand will have God's right hand to protect and preserve. The one who stays near to God's right hand will have God's right hand to protect and preserve. For God will make short work of his enemies. So everything David right now has experienced makes him confident that God, our Lord, will keep what he has promised. Then on the basis of God's word, David proclaims, verse 8, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. God will not forsake the word, work of his hands. He has brought you to salvation, for most of you in here. He has transformed you by the gospel. He has given you his word. He meets with you on a daily basis when you get in your closet, in your quiet place. He will carry you through this. Maybe some of you are going through some very difficult times right now. Maybe you're weeping over this. Maybe you're weeping over your own self and upset at yourself or making decisions that the consequences are very difficult. And I know in certain times of my life, I've wanted to know God's will so bad. I've wanted to know him. I've wanted to, and I struggle and been almost afraid to do anything because I didn't want to do it out of God's will. This verse came to me, God, in Psalm 37, 24, and it really was a comfort to me and I hope it will be to you. When I slip, your hand catches me. Isn't that great? When I slip, your hand catches me. Don't be afraid. Go after God with all your heart. Go with confidence. NLT says of this verse, The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. He has got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. 
and he is working the plan. He will continue to work the plan. Don't be fearful. Don't worry. God finishes what he starts. There, it may seem like bumps in the road to you, but it is a plan that God will, even if it's bad, he will turn it for your good. I love what C.H. Spurgeon says here. The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. Let me say that again. The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. And God puts us in the palm of his hand, the nail-scarred hands of Christ. And the Father covers you and holds you. He is right there. It's not our perseverance, but God's power that holds us and will carry us through. Through prayer, we tell God of our confidence in him, that we have in him, even in the midst of troubles. We keep a quiet heart in quietness and in confidence as our strength. Prayer is for your good. Prayer is for God's glory. Prayer results in the fulfillment of the purpose of God. And then maybe we can be like a Jane to stare, or maybe we're like the whistling plowboy of Ecclefechan. Who are we to know what we've done? Or Jane to stare, who prayed for 12 generations, and she's seeing that happening now. But what do we do now? Looking back and thinking back of what about the kings. But for now, the kings have not yet begun to sing. We don't see great, much of our great people right now praising God, do we? But for now, the kings have not yet begun to sing. So may our lowly heart, lowly voices ring. Someday, someday, soon the kings will proclaim, let all the earth rejoice in his name. Let all the earth rejoice in his name. Would you pray with me? Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.